Amen. Thank you, Ben. Uh, I think I should offer a little bit of explanation because I'm wearing a tie this morning and I never do that, but both of my sons, when I came home one of the days, were wearing ties and asked if we could please wear a tie, ties together on, on Sunday. So I'm wearing a tie today for the sake of my sons and I really thought I was going to be the best dressed person this morning, but Dan came Daniel's wearing a bow tie and suspenders, and I was like, man, the one day that I wear a tie, you have to go one up on that. Oh, it's okay. Next time, I'll, I'll text you before and say, hey, dress down a little bit this Sunday. I really want to shine. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. As you turn there... I'm going to ask you to do something. Normally, I, I give handouts out, and there's no blanks. There's no space for you to write anything. But this morning, I actually want you to take the handout that you were given as you walked in, and you'll notice that there's two blanks there. And what I want you to do is I want you to think right now on your own life and think about a trial or a tragedy that you have gone through. I actually want you to think of two different ones. I want you to think of one from the past, and I want you to think of one maybe that you are facing right now in the present. And here's what I want you to do with those blanks. Put something down, an initial, put something down that is, will be meaningful for you. You'll know the one that you're thinking of, but that no one else will get. I'm not going to ask you to share these. I'm not going to ask you to bring them up to me later. I don't want this to be something that if you forget your handout here, people are going to know. This is just something for you. Think back on your life. Think of a trial or tragedy that you have faced in the past. And think of one maybe that you are facing right now in the present. And that's all I'm going to ask you to do for now. We'll come back to that later. Two weeks ago, we were starting Acts chapter 6. And when we were in that passage, a passage in which we see a problem in the local church, in the church in Jerusalem, we see that there is an issue because the widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. And it's caused a problem. There's a division between the Hellenists and the Hebrews, those who speak Greek and those who speak Aramaic or Hebrew. There's conflict there. And when we went through that message, what we went through, we defined what a problem is. A problem is anything that would hinder, negatively impact, or impede our mission. If God has given us a mission, anything that would get in the way of doing that is a problem. But what we discussed that message is that trials are not necessarily problems. Throughout the book of Acts, we have been seeing many trials, and yet the apostles have not responded to those saying, oh, that's a problem. When they say it's a problem, it's because something is getting in the way of the mission. Something is impacting their witness. And I know for me, when I was going through that passage, and I would imagine for some of you, that's a paradigm shift. That, that's a new way of thinking about trials and problems. Wait a second. Trials are not necessarily problems? This morning, we're actually going to go a little bit further than that. 
See, not only are trials not necessarily problems, they can lead to problems. Not only are they not problems, they're actually opportunities. That's hard for us. Because we think of trials as something, I don't want this. I don't want to be in the midst of this. God, what are you doing? Lord, I'm, I'm out in the middle of the ocean. I see no shore of your salvation. And I just have wave after wave after wave. God, when are you going to give me a break? When are you going to let me have that life, life jacket or, or, or that floaty that I can hold on to just to catch my breath? You just keep on sending all of these trials and these tragedies. I know many of you have felt that way with things that have happened in our church. God, I, I can't do another funeral. Lord, I can't have someone else leave. I can't say goodbye again. Lord, I can't go through this one more time. And we look at trials and we look at tragedies and we say, no, the goal is to not have them. But what I want to challenge us with this morning is that maybe we need to look at trials and tragedies a different way and not as things to be avoided, but as opportunities. Here's our big idea for this morning. God uses trials and tragedies to lead us where he wants us to be that we might do what we are meant to do. God uses trials and tragedies to lead us where he wants us to be that we might do what we are meant to do. Kids, in your handout, your big idea is this. Trials and tragedies are opportunities to trust and obey. Trials and tragedies are opportunities to trust and obey. As we're getting to Acts 8 here, I heard a message recently that kind of put this in a way that is helpful for us to understand as we're going through this book. How, uh, many of you very much enjoy watching TV series. Not just a movie where it tells the whole story in one go, but TV series where each season takes you to a new place. We finished a season last week. Chapter 7 is the first season of Acts. And it finished with this cliffhanger, it finished in this moment where we're like, God, what's going on? As we heard it read this morning, the end of chapter 7, it ends with Stephen dead. It's a tragedy. The people who had been responding to the gospel now are rejecting it. Now they're going and persecuting Stephen. They're stoning him. And now we come to this next Season, And we're going to look at these first four verses of what is God going to do? What is God going to do in all of the midst of this new thing that he's happening where the church is being established? He has this plan. What's God doing? Let's read through verses one through three. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. 
that's not the way we would want the new season to start. Look at this story. Look at the trials and tragedies the church is facing. And and, and I want to challenge us real quickly. Don't read this like you would read facts in a history book. Don't read this like you would hear the numbers and, and in the Battle of Gettysburg, there were X amount of casualties. That doesn't impact us. Who are these people? If you're in Christ, these are your brothers and sisters. These are are your spiritual grandparents. These are the people who we will spend eternity with. Look at what they're facing. Start with verse 1. See the evil that is celebrated. Verse 1, first part, and Saul approved of his execution. See, it's one thing to live in a culture that evil happens. Live in a culture, though, where evil is approved, where it's praised. The early church is living in that setting where people are going against the law, where they are abandoning what they know, and they are turning and doing what is evil, thinking that it's good. This is what Jesus told them would happen in John 16 as he was preparing the apostles for his departure. This is what he said. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. The church is not in a neutral environment. Hey, listen, if if the gospel is good for you, great. They're not in a neutral place. They are in a hostile environment. Saul murdered Stephen and he thinks it's good. We go on and we see in verse one that the church is persecuted and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. People are not being able to just, hey, do your thing. They are against them. The believers are scattered. Look at what it says. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Uh, I don't think we understand that. Don't, don't look at that and read this of like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, all of us have to move sometimes. I've, I've moved multiple times. I used to live in Brazil. Now I live in the States. That's not what's happening here. That was something I planned and chose. I had all of my things with me. I brought my suitcases. That's not the image of what's happening here. They're running for their lives. Think they're facing trials? They're separated from their leaders. Church was scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. How do you think that was for this early church? What do you think that was like? Wait, we, we just learned this. We're finally starting to grow. We're seeing things happen. And now we're separated from our leaders. We're no longer home. We're no longer in our synagogues. We're no longer in the place that we can gather in the temple. And here, everything's being disrupted. We're running from our lives and we don't even have our spiritual leaders to guide us in this moment. Sounding like a trial so far. Continues 
They're burying Stephen and lamenting his death. Verse two, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. You think that this might feel like waves where they just can't catch their breath in the midst of trying to grieve someone that the whole church knows. In chapter six, they were looking for men to help them. They chose seven men. The first man that they choose is Stephen. This is their guy. This is someone they trust to serve them, to help them. He's dead. They don't even get a chance to grieve him. Devout men are burying him and lamenting him, but while this is going on, the church is being scattered. Tragedy. It goes on in verse three, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I want you to just see the language that Luke is using here, ravaging the church, dragging them off. What does this mean? This isn't persecution where you're not picked to be on the sports team because of what you believe. This is not that the the women of your neighborhood never invite you to go out to coffee with them. This is not you being overlooked for a job that you should have had or being whispered about at church. And, And understand, those are also difficulties that we might go through. But when we're talking about them being ravaged, This is brutal persecution. Later on, and we know that Saul's story has a great redemptive arc and he's not going to end where we see him right now. But listen to how he describes what was happening in the church in Acts 26. This is what Saul says about what was happening then. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." This is what the church is facing at this time. I think it's interesting the way that the juxtaposition that Luke sets up in these verses, because in verse two, we see them grieving Stephen. They're lamenting over him. They're burying him. And then Luke uses this this word, but, but Saul was ravaging the church. You want to know one of the hardest things about going through trials and having tragedies happen is when you see righteous people suffering and unrighteous people thriving. God, what are you doing? Stephen's dead and Saul's alive? God, is this part of your plan? You're going to allow that man to live? You're going to allow him to do this to your church? The one you say is your bride? You're going to allow that man to persecute our church? And you're going to allow Stephen, who served our church, to be stoned? 
You think the church is going through trials and tragedies? How about their safety? Think of the safety that's destroyed for them. Where's Paul going? Or Saul going? From house to house. Dragging them off and committing them to prison. Man, what, how have house to houses been described earlier in the book of Acts? And they were going house to house and preaching the word. And they were spending time and they had all things in common and they would be in each other's houses so that no one had need. Up till now, their homes have been a place of security, a place of joy, a place of learning. That safety's gone. Now they're in their homes waiting to see if someone's going to knock down the door. Imprisoned families, dragging husbands, dragging wives, dragging children, throwing them into prison and committing them to death. How do you think this early church felt in this moment? Do you think that they were overwhelmed by the trials that they were facing? Do you think that they were looking at this and saying, I can't get my head above the water? And yet what we see in this passage is that trials are still an opportunity. One of the things that we get wrong so often is that we present just this, oh, everything is going to be great. Just come to Christ. It's going to be perfect. Now understand, is it better to come to Christ? Yes, but we need to explain that. We need to qualify what the better is. It's not better according to this world's standards. No one would look at these three verses and say, that's what I want. And yet it's better. It's better because God is in control and he has a plan. What is, what is the response that we need to have when we are going through these trials? What is this an opportunity for? It's an opportunity to trust. Trials and tragedies are an opportunity from God to demonstrate our trust in him. See, this is the message that Acts keeps revealing. God is greater. God overcomes every obstacle. God has a plan and is in control. What is the story that we saw with Stephen? Stephen is being dragged out. They're taking their cloaks off. They're putting it at the feet of Saul. They're picking up rocks to throw at him. But Stephen's at peace. He trusts God. We saw the passage that Cindy was reading earlier. He looks up into heaven. He sees his triumphant and victorious Savior standing next to the Father. He trusted. These are opportunities to demonstrate our trust in God. But one of the problems that we have is, is this problem of perspective. I want to use, we're going to, as we go through the service, I want to use a, a, a physical reminder, a way for us to think. When we are in trials, it's like we are looking down and this is all we can see. 
One of the problems with, with trials and, and, and tragedies is, that, is their proximity. They're right here. They're right now. And if you do something, kids, I want you to try this real quick. Cover one eye and see if you can cover me up with your thumb. So cover one eye and see if you can completely cover me with your thumb, like this. Am I smaller than your thumb? It seems like it. I can cover you all the way up with just one finger. It's a problem of perspective and proximity. Because this is right here in front of you. You think that this is all there is. We are so pulled down by our trials and we think that nothing else can be, possibly be happening. And what I wanted to tell, want to tell us to do is what Stephen did. Look up. Look up. See that there is something far greater than this trial and tragedy that you're going through. When we went through the, the, the letter, the epistle of Colossians last year, we saw this in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on, the, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Don't set your perspective on the things of this earth. Don't be completely pulled down by the trials here. Look up. See your Savior, Christ, who is risen. Christ, who conquered the greatest trial, who triumphed over the greatest tragedy. See, God's victory, his triumph is guaranteed, but not only his, but all those who have placed their faith in Christ alone. This is our confidence. God has overcome. God transforms trials and tragedies into triumphs. Isn't this the story of Joseph? What you meant for evil, God used for good. We see that theme traced throughout all of Scripture. What we thought was going to be evil, what was wrong, God transformed into good. But what is the greatest example of that in all of Scripture? Christ. Because we know that we sinned against a holy God. We know that we, with all of humanity, are separated from him because of our sin. We know that Christ came to this earth and he chose to bear our sins, to take our place of shame, to see our place of fear, and he died on the cross for our place. But he rose again. He now lives. Should I use the handheld? Good? Okay. He lives. So that all those who place their faith in him will also live. The greatest picture of trials and tragedies being transformed into triumphs is Christ. And that's what we look up and focus on. So what is your trial? What is your tragedy? It's an opportunity to trust. Look up and trust. Do we trust? If we do, then we must let him lead. Look at how God is leading. See, here's the reality. God is doing much more than we could ever conceive. Look back at verse 1. 
What was the result of all the trials the church is facing? What happened after the tragedy of Stephen's death? And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Well, we've been going through the book of Acts for a while now. That's not the first time we've heard Judea and Samaria. What other time have we heard about Judea and Samaria? Go all the way back to chapter 1. Turn back. Let's go to all the way back to chapter 1 and see why these places seem familiar to us. Go all the way to verse 8. Jesus talking to his apostles as he's, he's preparing to leave, and he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is Christ's plan. We've gone through seven chapters of the book of Acts so far, and so far we've only been in one location. Where have we been this entire time in the book of Acts? Jerusalem. We've never been a few, more than a few miles away from Jerusalem. Even at the ascension, we were still in the region of Jerusalem. We have stayed right there the whole time. But what was Christ's plan? What did he say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of the themes that we can trace throughout Scripture is that God has always planned and desired that he would have worshipers spread throughout the entire globe. Do you know what God tells Adam and Eve right after they are created in Genesis 1.28? After God create, said, let us create man in our image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. After that, he gives them orders. Do you know what he says? And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Spread out. Spread out so that I have those who are proclaiming and worshiping my glory across the entire globe. It's what we see in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. It's what we see here. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. What are we seeing here? That God is using trials and tragedies in the life of his church in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He's using it to lead them where he wants them to be. Our God is greater than the trials and tragedies we face. He alone has the power to transform these things that are evil and use them for good. God desires to have worshipers spread across his, his creation, but his goal isn't just that his worshipers would spread. His desire is that they would also multiply. What he said in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Before the fall, that looked like having kids. Before the fall, while we were still in the image of God, those children would have continued, perpetuated God's glory as image bearers without the taint of sin. After the fall, do you know what that looks like? Missions. Missions. 
It's missions. It's telling others, you do not look like Christ. You need Christ within you. Now, of course, do you know where those missions most often start? It's in your home. But it also happens outside of your home as we are spread out across this globe. And that is what God wants. You will be my witnesses. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. God's plan is not just that he would have worshipers spread across the globe, but that those worshipers would be multiplying as they proclaim him across the globe. And that's what we're going to see, that the, how the church will respond. But here's what I want to, uh, to first see before we move on. Are you seeing trials and tragedies as opportunities? When you are in the midst of that trial and tragedy, are you saying, God, this is an opportunity for me to demonstrate my trust in you? If you have, if you're in the water and you know when, when you were a kid and you're, you, you trusted your dad, you don't trust him just for one wave. You trust him continually. And each wave that comes and yet he still upholds you should not cause us to doubt the trust. It should cause us to feel, wait, this trust is stronger and will never let me go. What does Jesus say? Those whom God has placed in my hand in John 10, no one can take them out. God uses trials and tragedies to lead us where he wants us to be. Trials and tragedies are opportunities to trust. But now let's see what else God is going to do. Look at verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Consider what we're seeing here. This is astounding and quite frankly, mind-boggling. What was the church going through? They're suffering. They're going through trials and, and, and tragedies that I don't think most of us cannot even conceive of what is happening to them. Why are they going through all those trials? Why, why are they being persecuted, dragged out, ravaged? Why is all of that happening? Just because maybe ethnic differences? No. Maybe because they're not very nice people? No, we've already seen that the people look at them and say, wow, look at the way they care for each other. That's incredible. We saw that in Acts 2. Why are they being persecuted? Because Christ is their Savior. Because they have been proclaiming the name of Jesus. So what might be a solution to cause that to stop? Don't proclaim him anymore. Hey, listen, last time we proclaimed him, we got run out of town. Some of our people, some of our brothers and sisters are still there. Some of them are dying for this. Stephen died for this. So what would be the solution? Don't talk. What do they do? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word because they know their mission. We are witnesses of Christ. And don't forget who's not with them. The apostles. This is the church. This is not Luke just taking license and saying, well, 
12 of them continued to preach. And so we'll just say the whole church was preaching. No, Luke told us the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. This is the church that is saying we will continue this mission. We will, even though it will cost us suffering, even though we will go through trials, even though we will be persecuted, we will not stop preaching. They continue to do what they were meant to do. How did these Christians see the trials and tragedies they faced? They saw them as opportunities to not only trust God, but also to obey God. We're going to think one of these things where I want you to think about the tragedies and trials that you are facing. It's an opportunity to obey God. It's an opportunity to trust him, to reveal who he is. They saw this as an opportunity. But, but here's just, I, I want to point something out here that I don't want us to miss. Did these Christians suffer? I don't think that that's a question. I think I can get a little bit of a clearer answer. Did these Christians suffer? Yeah. Their suffering led to our salvation. I'm going to say that again. Their suffering led to our salvation. Our brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters who went through tragedies we cannot even comprehend, and yet they continue to proclaim Christ because of their faithfulness, it leads to us. This is what Paul says in Colossians. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. And we hear that verse and we're like, wait a second, I'm not sure I agree with that. What do you mean what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. And yes, theologically, we know that to be true. No one can add to Christ's sacrifice. We're not saying, well, Christ took us 80% of the way there and then our sacrifice was that last 20%. No, Christ did all of it. And yet what is lacking in his afflictions is the present proclamation of Christ. Christ departed. That happened at the beginning of Acts. Christ left. And yet what has he told us to do? You are part of the mission. And you will suffer to be part of the mission. You will go out in my name for the mission. You will be persecuted for the mission. You will be filling up what is lacking as you proclaim me because if no one proclaims, no one will know. And so did these Christians suffer and fill up what was lacking so that others might know Christ? Yes. And did their suffering lead to our salvation? Yes. This is a beautiful picture. It is a profound weight that is passed on to us. The baton has been passed. Don't waste your trials and tragedies. They are an opportunity to reveal Christ. They are an opportunity to trust. They are an opportunity to obey. Let me just tell you this, your greatest opportunities to both become like Christ as well as to proclaim him will be found in times of trial. Your greatest opportunities 
to become like Jesus, your greatest opportunities to point to Jesus will not be when you win the lottery. They will be when you are thrown into prison. That is the opportunity we must not waste. So do we see our trials and tragedies as opportunities to obey? Or are they just things to avoid? Do we see them as means by which we might proclaim Christ and preach the word? Or are they ways in which we just want to curl up and say, leave me alone. I can't do anything else. Here's here's what I want us to think. So we already did this. And kids, you can help me with this. First, I want you to look down. Right? Kids, you can help me. Parents, give a good example. When we are in trials and, and, and tragedies, all we feel like we can do is look down and this is all there is and we can think of nothing else. So the first thing that we need to do is look up and trust. So you're gonna do it with me. Look up and trust. Trust that God has a plan. But after we look up and trust, here's what I want you to do next. Look forward and obey. Do it with me. Look forward and obey. They didn't just trust God, trust God. They also looked forward and said, I will obey God. God uses trials and tragedies to lead us where he wants us to be that we might do what we are meant to do. Trials and tragedies are opportunities to trust and obey. So as you come in this morning and you have those, tri- those trials and tragedies on your handout, How do you see them? Do you see those as opportunities to trust God? Do you see those as opportunities to obey Him? You might be looking here and saying, Stephen, I, I can't. I've got nothing left. I, I, I think I took my last breath the beginning of last trial. I have been underwater for longer than I can remember. There's nothing left. You can't ask me to keep going through trials and tribulations. God wouldn't ask me to do that. God wants me to be happy. No, God wants himself to be glorified. But here's the reality. I actually agree with you. You can't. And you're not meant to. What did Jesus say in Acts 1.8 before he said that you are going to be scattered, that you're going to go throughout all these regions? What did he first tell them they would receive? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you think you can brave the storms, you think you can tread water in these trials and tragedies, you're wrong. You can only do it as the power of the Spirit is in you. That is the only way you will stay above water. Not through us, but through Him. Colossians 1, 28 through 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And the context before that was His suffering. For this I toil, struggling with what? All His energy that he powerfully works within me. 
You will not be able to use trials and tragedies as opportunities to trust and obey unless the Spirit is empowering you, unless Christ abides within you. But if he does, then you are being given the greatest opportunity to proclaim Christ. So our practical application. Kids, what do we first do? When we are overwhelmed with this, we look up and trust. As we trust God, what do we then do? We look forward and obey. But I want to recognize that this is hard. In this moment, it can be all that we can do. So I want to add two more. Here's the next one I want to add. Look back and remember. One of the things in way, the way we can do that is with this. What are we doing right now? We're looking back not at their story. We're looking back at our story. This is the body of Christ of which we are members. This is our story. Too often we div- divorce ourselves from them like, oh, that was that church, that was them, but this is us. I- I've actually been recently convicted about that even with our church. I, the story of our church starts 10 years ago when I got here, in my mind. That's wrong. And if I describe the church before me, do you know how I describe it? They. I, I recently, I went to a conference and the way they described decisions that happened in the 1800s at their church, do you know how they described it? We. We made this decision. And I was like, that's a little weird. And yet that's what it is. We're the body of Christ. So this isn't them. This is us. Look back and remember. But don't just look back here. Look at your own story. I know this isn't going to work for everyone, but I want you to do do something. Look back at that one tragedy or triumph that you wrote down for the past. I want to ask you something. Did God use that to take you where he wanted you to be that you might do what he wanted you to do? Look for yourself. Again, it might not be for everyone because there is the choice that we need to choose to trust and obey. But look back on those trials that you have written down for the past. Did God use that to take you where you, he wanted you to be in order that you might do what he wanted you to do? I'm very fortunate that as I thought through this week and looked at all of the greatest trials that I have faced in my life, I can say, yes, he did. And I understand that to be a blessing from God, that God has given me that blessing. But I look back on the trials and tragedies that have happened in my life, some of which you have walked through with me. You have cried by my side in those. And I say, God, thank you that I can look back and remember how you saw me through that. Thank you that I can look back and remember that that was an opportunity. So kids, help me out in the moment. Look up and trust Look forward and obey. Look back and remember. And here's what I want to ask one more thing. And this is not something that we normally do. If you find yourself in that condition where you can look back and remember how God has used trials and tragedies in your life in order to do what he wanted to do in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want you to stand with me and demonstrate as a testament to God, I have seen what God 
has done. I have seen how God has used those trials. And don't do it if it's like, well, no, I, I agree with the principle. I want you to actually have something in your mind, a trial or tragedy, and I invite you to stand if you have one. Here's our fourth one. Look up and trust. Look forward, obey. Look back, remember. Look around and be strengthened. Look around and be strengthened. I know what some of you have gone through. I know the hardships that you have, the trials and tragedies that you have experienced. And yet seeing how you have used those for God's glory strengthens me. This morning, Stephen Page is preaching at Dylan Beamer's church. Dylan was my roommate in college, and his wife tragically passed away outside of the house that I used to live at, the, the Deffendorf's home, caught hit by a car. And yet what I am seeing is how he is interacting with this grief, and he, the things he is posting, and he is glorifying God. I am strengthened by that example. Don't think that you have to do this alone. First, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is a strength for you. But also you have the body of Christ. This is why we join in membership with each other so that in those moments when we feel weak and we can say, would you bear this burden with me? Help me to trust. Help me to obey in this moment. Do them with me. In our moment of trial and tragedy, look up and... Oh, sorry. Look forward I was, I was mirroring all of you guys. Look forward and obey. Look back and remember. Look around and be strengthened. God uses trials and tragedies to lead us where he wants us to be that we might do what we are meant.